0: grateful. I invite you to turn with us to 1 John this morning, 1 John chapter number 4. 1 John chapter 4. And we will read verses 9 through verse number 14, 1 John chapter number 4. I always enjoy preaching Around this time of year, I enjoy preaching all year, but Easter is my favorite time to preach of the resurrection of our Lord, but His incarnation is a wonderful and glorious truth, one that shows up in all of the Word of God, not just in those familiar stories that give us the historical account and the narratives of the people. and the places that all of this transpired. If you go to the, to the book of Genesis, you will read the story. You will see the story come to completion in the book of Revelation. And His story is a glory story, it began in glory, it ends in glory. And it is a wonderful, wonderful story. It is the truth that separates light from darkness. This time of year reminds us of that. We're not here to say that this is the exact time of the year that all these events happened, but we are here to say that at some point in history it did happen. God did send His Son, and He sent Him for a reason, and that reason is because sinners like you and I needed salvation. We needed deliverance. We needed to be brought out of darkness into marvelous light, and so we come to a passage this morning that magnifies one of the truths that God sent His Son. John is speaking to his readers about the love of God and about how believers are to love each other, and then John tells us how God manifested His love in the sending of His Son. I want us to begin to look at this this morning in 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 9. John said, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him, and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Numerous times throughout the pages of God's Word, we are told that God sent His Son into the world. The word sent is used in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, where Jesus Himself says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Again, Jesus answering says unto the congregation of people listening to Him in John 6, 29, This is the work of God, that ye believe on Him whom... He hath sent one more. In John eight forty two, Jesus said unto them, If God were your Father, ye would love Me. For I proceed forth, and came from God. Neither came I of Myself, but He sent Me. Jesus knew that He was sent from God. We just sang a while ago some wonderful words that He was begotten, not created. Our Savior was not a created being. He is and always will be God. When He was incarnated, God was manifested in the flesh. We have God upon Earth, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Apostle Paul told the Galatians, In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, But when the fullness of time was come, here's the word again, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. Paul tells us why God sent His Son, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. If you will look back in the text that I read this morning, In verse number 9, the word SENT is mentioned. In this was manifest the love of God toward us, because that God SENT His only begotten Son. If you will notice, in verse number 10, the word SENT is mentioned again. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us, and SENT His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. A third time in verse number 14, John said, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So in these short verses that I read this morning, no less than three times does this word sent appear, teaching us and telling us that it was God the Father who sent the Son into the world. This little four-letter English word that appears in verse 9, 10 and 14, it may be small in comparisons to other words that appear throughout the pages of God's Word, but I assure you this little four-letter word sent is huge in truth, and it's huge in the implication that it gives to us, and the truth that it presents to us of how God sent His Son into the world. This little word, sent, comes from the underlying Greek word, apostalo, which means off. When he's saying here, it means that God sent Jesus off from where He was. He sent Him away from the place called heaven. He sent Him away from the right hand of the Father. The word also means that He sent Him forth. He didn't send Him away in the sense of not to be with Him any longer. But he sent him away. He sent him forth into the world to accomplish salvation for sinners like you and I. It is the very purpose and plan of God. The little word sent also means to dispatch someone for the achievement of an object or the achievement of a purpose. It's not meaning like I send you away and. I don't want to be around you any longer. That's not what it means. But it means the Father sent Him. The Father sent Him away. He sent Him into a sin-cursed world for the purpose and objective of atoning for man's sin and bringing us eternal life and the blessed hope that we have in God. This sending was not a spur-of-the-moment decision. This sending was not an emotional reaction of God to the condition of lost sinners, but this sending was in, uh, in accordance and in harmony with the eternal purposes and plan of Almighty God to redeem sinful man back to Himself. What I'm saying this morning is Christmas was no mistake. The incarnation of our Lord was no second guess. It was no plan B of God after Adam sinned and plunged the world and the human race into separation from God. No, I'm glad that God, as long as God is, as long as God has been, God had a plan to redeem sinful man. God had a plan before man to redeem sinful man. Our salvation is based on the sovereign work of a holy God who had salvation in mind and in plan for us, through the sending of His only begotten Son. If you'll also notice this word sent in verse 9 and verse 10 and verse 14, it said because that God sent. It says in verse 10 that love is God, not that we love God, but that He loved us. And it was God who sent His Son. It says in verse 14, the Father sent the Son. This little word sent also indicates that it is God who takes the initiative here. It is God who moves to bring us salvation. It is God who determined and declared our salvation. When it comes to being saved, God is not on on the defense having to come up with something. God moves out. God is on the offensive. He took the initiative. He was not passive concerning manifesting Himself. I read the passage in Galatians where the Apostle Paul said, But when the fullness of time was come, when the fullness of time was come, that's when God sent forth His Son. Not a day late, not a day early, not a second early, not a second late, not a month ahead of schedule, not a month behind schedule, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son into the world. We sometimes look at history, both secular and biblical history, and we wonder why God didn't do this then, or why God does this now, or why God will wait to do this later. We rest this morning in the omnipotence and the, and the omniscience of Almighty God God does everything perfectly, and God does everything based on His plan. I'm grateful. We on our calendar believe that the incarnation happened somewhere over 2,000 years ago in a place called Bethlehem. But I want to assure you this morning, no matter how how vague or how cloudy our knowledge of history might be, how one man may say it happened like this and another may say it happened like that, I assure you on the promises of God's Word that it happened just as the Father planned it. It happened where the Father planned it. And it will have the lasting and eternal effects that the Father has planned. God sent forth His Son. Christ was sent, according to our text in verse 9, to manifest God's love. We read about God's love in the pages of God's Word. God's love is one of His attributes. We know that God is love. The Bible tells us that. But Christ was sent to manifest God's love. And if you'll go back to verse 7, John declares the origin of love in God. He said, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. That's the origin of love. Love did not... Uh, exists because of man, love exists because of God. For God is love, love is of God, genuine love is found in God, and genuine love, according to verse 7, is found in everyone who is born of God. The ungodly do not possess genuine love. They express some emotions, some sentiments of feeling good about things. But the Bible tells us in verse 7 that everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. An unbeliever, someone who is not a Christian, does not know what genuine love is. They may express, as I said, feelings and emotions about certain things, but God is the origin of love. Love originated in God. And therefore all of us that are born of God and are saved by His grace then we are able to love one another and we are able to know God and to know His love. There's many lost people today who have, who have affection. There's lost people today who do good deeds. Around Christmas, we see lost people doing good things. We see local taverns and bars collecting bicycles and gifts for children at Christmas. Those are good deeds. Those are certainly emotions and affections, but they're nothing akin to what Jesus is telling us here through the pen of the Apostle John. Thank God, God is the origin of love. Love is in God. If there were were no God, there would be no love. If Jehovah God was not Jehovah God, no one would know love. And if Christ had not come to this world, the love of God would have never been manifested. The love of God would have never been seen. Verse 8 of our scripture says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. God is love itself. However, love does not completely define God. God defines love. All God's activities are expressed in love because all His attributes work in cooperation with who He is. His love is tough but compassionate. He is love, and Christ was sent to manifest that love. We live in a culture where God has become an ideal, but not a person. God is an idea. Everybody's got a God. Well, that's not the God that John's talking about. The God John's talking about, the God that we serve, the God who has saved us, is the God who loves, and He has manifested that love in the sending of His Son. Man's entire thinking this morning is flawed with human opinion. But men in the Bible who knew God, they knew God by knowing Him and by experiencing His love. That's why John's emphasis here is on the love of God rather than man's love for God. It's on God's love for man. God is the initiator of love. It is God who loves man, and it is God who expresses that love to him by sending His only begotten Son. He who spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up freely for us all. How shall we not with Him? Now shall He not with Him give us all things? That is our God. Love was a necessary part of God's nature from all eternity. Do you know that even before there were sinners to love? literal sinners on the earth, even before there were literal, physical, living, breathing sinners on the earth to love that God loved. And the simplest way I know how to put it is what John said in verse 8. God is love. There it is. He is love because the relationship between God the Father and God the Son is a relationship of love. It's a relationship of love. Therefore, those of us who are saved, those of us who have by faith embraced the Incarnation and the regenerating and converting work of the Son of God, we love God and we in turn love each other. John declares the manifestation of God's love in verse 9. He said God's love was manifest. The word means brought to light. It was made visible. God's love was made visible. The light was on it. John is saying that the love of God was clearly visible in the Incarnation of Jesus Christ the sending of and the coming of and the arriving of Jesus Christ into the world was unmistakable evidence of God's love to us. Each and every Christmas season and all through the year, God's children should remember that when we celebrate this time of the year, when we celebrate the truth of the incarnation of Christ, we are celebrating and we are worshiping God for the unmistakable evidence of God's divine love love. He sent His Son, that is unmistakable evidence of His love. This word manifested, commenting on this word manifested, Dr. Warren Weersby writes in his Bible exposition commentary, and I quote, The word manifested means to come out in the open, to be made public. It is the opposite of to hide or to make secret. Brother Weersby goes on and says, Under the old covenant God was hidden. God was hidden behind the shadows of ritual and ceremony. Hebrews 10:1. But Wearsby goes on to say, but in Jesus Christ, John says the life was manifest. End quote. What Wearsby is saying is exactly right. In the old covenant, you have to look in the shadows and the types to see Christ. And then you see him partially veiled. You see glimpses of him there. Whether you're looking in the Old Testament story of Ruth and you see that redeeming grace, or whether you're looking in other portions of the Old Testament in the tabernacle and you're seeing emblems that point to the Christ that is coming, you're seeing only glimpses of that. But thank God when He was incarnated and when He came to this world as His only begotten Son, God is now shining the light of heaven on His Son, and He's making visible the very Son of God. Thomas said to him, Lord, show us the Father. Jesus said, If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. I am the expression, I am the manifestation of the love of Almighty God. Jesus said that in John 14, 9. Manifest is one of John's favorite words. If you have 1 John open there, just look back to chapter 1, verse number 2. John said, For the life was manifested, the life was clearly made visible in John, 1 John 1, 2. And we have seen it and bear witness. John said, I was one of the men who literally seen Jesus Christ here upon this earth. I seen it. God made visible His love. If you turn to chapter 3 of 1 John in verse 5, John uses the word manifestation again, or manifested. And you know that He, speaking of Jesus, was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. Over in 1 John 3, verse number 8, He that committeth sins is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. John says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that He might destroy the works of the devil. He appeared. John is telling us over and over, He appeared. John was one who actually witnessed Him and actually seen Him. This love of God, this amazing, saving love of God was manifested or made visible through God's only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that love that He's talking about here is that agape love, that self-sacrificing love, one who gives Himself for the benefit of another, for the benefit of the object love. And that's exactly what Christ did when He came. He gave Himself. Christ didn't come to gain a seat with God. Christ didn't come just to be a part Of the Trinity. He didn't come to secure that. He was that before he ever came and still is. He came to manifest, he came to make visible, he came to show us the love of Almighty God. In other words, he came to die. He came to crucify. We sang a while ago, or the song was mentioned, the words in the song a while ago was mentioned about the, the tender brow, the tender head of the Son of God as a baby born, a tender head where thorns would rest upon it the real the frail and the very soft skin upon the back of that incarnated child when mary held him in her arms would one day be ripped open like plowing rows in a garden with a cat of nine tails in order that he might heal the pain and pay the price that you and i might be saved The tender side of our Lord would be opened up, and out of it would come forth blood and water from the spear of a Roman soldier, so you and I could have eternal life. Precious hands, infant hands, born there in Mary's lap, born there. Those infant hands that would be laid upon the head of children and break bread, there and also wash the feet of his own disciples those hands would be nailed to a cross the feet that were willing to walk from city to city in order to raise the dead and heal the sick and give comfort to grieving homes such as Mary and Martha at the death of Lazarus those feet would be nailed to a cross so you and I could walk streets of gold someday in the city of almighty god god manifested his love in the sending of his Son. Thank God for the sending. Now, this love produces three effects, and there's three effects of Christmas that happens to those of us who believe. They're right here in the text. Now, we're not going to be able to cover these three this morning, but I want to show you the three. I may come back next Sunday night or either Sunday morning Uh, week after next and finish this, I don't know, but I want you to see these in the text. First of all, in verse 9, God sent His only Son. What's the effects of His sending? He sent Him that we might live through Him. The second thing that He sent Him for, in verse 10, He sent Him to be the propitiation for our sins. And thirdly, in verse 14, He sent Him to be Savior of the world. Now, although I can't preach on all these this morning, I just want to deal with verse 9 for the time I have left. I do want to say, thank you, God, for sending your Son, because I'm alive in Christ this morning. And I do want to say, thank you, God, for sending your Son to be the propitiation for my sins, for our sins. And thank you, Father, for sending your Son, because He is this morning Savior of the world. He is Savior. These are the effects of the Incarnation, as John tells us here, as viewed, connected to this little word, sent. But look with me at this one point this morning in verse 9. God's love was manifested when God sent His only begotten Son that we might live through Him. Now, when we see the word sent, I don't know about you, but I, my mind automatically goes to Bethlehem. It goes to the virgin birth. It goes to how our Lord was conceived. We said a while ago in one of the songs we sang that He was not created, I mentioned that earlier, but begotten. And God contracted uh, Christ to the span of a virgin's womb and placed Him inside a virgin, and. He came into this world sinless, the sinless Son of God. But when I see the word sent, I immediately think of the birth of Jesus Christ. And in a season such as Christmas, which we have, uh, that is so affected by so much fanfare and commercialism, uh, for you and I, this word sent should bring us back to the reality of what it is we celebrate and what it is that brings us so much joy and that is that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, His only begotten Son, the unique, one-of-a-kind Son. Creation demonstrates the great uh, power of God, but incarnation demonstrates the great love of God, where God sent His Son. Now, the tense of the word sent in our text signifies that what was sent has a permanent effect, and thank God it does. What was sent has a permanent effect. I have sent mail that never arrived. I have sent money that didn't cover the cost. I have sent word to someone, and the words never got there. I have sent texts and emails, and they are somewhere in the twilight zone. They never arrived. I don't know where they are. But the result of the Father sending His Son, the tense of the word sent here, means that God, what He sent, arrived. What He sent, produced. What He sent, communicated. What He sent, effectually worked. What He sent, accomplished. What He sent Him here to do. Christmas is about sent. It is about God sending His Son, and what God sent arrived, what God sent communicated, what God sent completed, and finished what He was sent here to do. And you and I sit here today in the joy and the victory of that, and we call that salvation by the amazing grace of God. When Jesus Christ on the cross said, It is finished, Brother, that's exactly what he meant. It is finished. God is satisfied. God's wrath, God's righteousness, everything God needed to be done so sinners like you and I could be saved has been settled with God. Thank God there's no condemnation anymore. There will be no separation. All because God sent, and the little word sent means that it was effective in what God sent it to do. Let's look at these effects. I'll just touch number nine. God sent His Son that we might live through Him. Don't overlook the first words there, those words in verse nine. Look at the words that we might. God sent His Son that we might. Those are words of purpose and words of result. What is the purpose of God sending His Son into the world? What is the result of God sending His Son into the world? The answer is that dead sinners like you and me could have life through Him. Now, if you do not believe that you were ever dead in trespasses and sin, then the incarnation of Christ and Christmas means nothing to you or ever will mean anything to you because Christmas is about God sending life to dead people, spiritually dead sinners. That's what it's about. Christianity is not about a person deciding to stop certain sinful practices and to start doing morally acceptable practices. That's not Christianity. That's legalistic religion. That's all that is. It's not a matter of changing from being a non-religious person to a matter of going to church every now and then. That's not what it's about. At its heart, Christianity is a matter of God imparting new life to those who were dead in their sins. That's what this is about. This is about God imparting life to people who were dead. The Apostle Paul told the Ephesians, Ephesians 2, 1, And you have he quickened, meaning he's given life, who were dead in trespasses and sin. I have preacher brethren who do not believe that the sinner is completely dead. They believe he's got enough of life in him to make some kind of a choice when he's dead in sin. The word dead here in Ephesians 2, 1 is the Greek word nekros, which means deceased, one who has breathed his last. Leave here if you want to, go to a cemetery and stand there. And preach all day. Give them all invitations. Ask all who would like to come back and celebrate Christmas with us to get up and come. I'm sure most people in that place, if they had a choice, would love to do that, wouldn't they? They have a problem, a major problem. They're dead. There's no life within them. Thank God for the regenerating power of the Spirit of God and the Word of God that gives us life, that gives us breath to be able to call upon the name of the Lord and to be saved by His amazing grace. Listen, either Lazarus was dead when Jesus said, Come forth, or he was just in a coma somewhere. Yes, he was dead. Either our Lord was dead whenever He rose from the dead, or Christianity is a farce. Yes, you and I who are saved this morning, we were dead in trespasses and in sin no matter how well we live, no matter how good we try, no matter how we wanted to will ourselves into life. It had to come by the regenerating power of Almighty God. Christmas is about God sending His Son so dead sinners like you and I could live today and be alive. Christ in you That's the hope of glory, Christ in you. You and I were without life. If you look at verse 9 of our text, it reads, In this was manifested the love of God toward us. The words toward us are interesting. The English Standard translates translates it among us. The New American translates it in us, as best I can look at it and what little I know, toward us. And in us and among us, are kindly all in the same ballpark, but I think in us really speaks to that, that we might have life. It said He was manifested, God, His love was manifested toward us. The meaning here is because God sending Jesus in the world so dead sinners could have life, that life begins within us, that life God put within us. And once that life is in us, it bears fruit outwardly. John has just said that if you're able to love, it's because God is born in you and God is in you. If you're alive in Christ today, it ain't because you've done something from without within. It's because God did something from within without. That is what this is about. This is about God manifesting His love toward us who were dead sinners. Now, sinners don't like to admit this. We like to think that we are somehow responsible uh, for anything good that ever happens in our life. We, not, we like to take a little bit of credit. I'm going to tell you something, God gives no glory to anyone when it comes to His salva- salvation. Jonah said it right. Salvation is of the Lord. It totally is His amazing work, and it is God manifesting Himself through the incarnation of Christ that, first of all, gives us life. Look at the word live, that we might live. The word is zeo, which means that we might breathe, that we might be among the living. I'm not a fan of Southern Gospel music per se, but there's a song written years ago, Just a Sinner Saved by Grace, and one of the stanzas in there says, I'm back among the living. And that's true. We are. Once we are truly saved. We are back among the living. We come to physical life after death. Look with me at two references that use this same word. Look at the word live, that we might live through Him. Two two passages, and we're we're closing here in just a moment. But Christ sent His Son that you and I might live, that we might zeo, that we might be among the living. If you're saved this morning, you're among the living. Thank God for that people who know Christ, I'm alive, I've been born twice, and it's possible I may not die once, but I've been born twice, going to live forever, life. In Matthew 9, 18, you don't have to turn there, you can turn to make sure I'm telling you right, either way, you remember when Jesus was summoned to help the daughter of Jairus, you remember Jairus' daughter and they summoned him to come. Listen to Matthew 9:18. while he spake these things unto them, behold there came a certain ruler and worshiped him saying, "My daughter is even now dead. but come and lay thy hand upon her and she shall live. same word. but come and lay your hand upon her and she will be back among the living. she will breathe again. So what did Jesus do, He did exactly that. He brought life. It's the same word. Jarius wanted Jesus to give his daughter life because she was dead. There are dead people sitting in here this morning, dead spiritually, alive physically, but dead spiritually. Only Christ can give you life. Only Christ can cause you to breathe again. Only only Christ can give you life eternal and everlasting life. One other passage, Romans 1:17. Paul's quoting Habakkuk to the Romans, and he says this, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live. Same word. The just shall live by faith. It means you and I are among the living. We are among those who've been justified by faith. We are among the living. It is only through Christ's righteousness that sinners are regenerated, sinners are converted, and sinners are able to be spiritually alive. It is only through Christ's righteousness that we are. Back here in John, look at 1 John five eleven. John says, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. This life is not just about his son. This life is in his son. If God has given eternal life, where is it? If God's given eternal life, where do sinners find it? Where is it accessible? The answer in the text in First John five eleven is: It is accessible in His Son. I read earlier in the scripture reading to open the service. Jesus said, I am come that they might have what? Life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Means it just keeps flowing and flowing and flowing and flowing. Christmas is about God the Father sending His Son to come to this sin-cursed world full of dead sinners like you and I and giving to them eternal life this life is in Christ we just finished second timothy last Sunday evening you probably don't remember Paul's words to Timothy in that opening verse of the letter but here's what it says second timothy 1:1 Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus Church, in a season of the year, in a time on the calendar when most people's thoughts are easily taken to gifts and giving, nothing, and I repeat, nothing could be a greater gift than the gift of life to someone who is dead. Hallelujah. We're the recipients of that life. We're the recipients of that life. Jesus said in John 10, I read it this morning, The thief thief cometh not but for for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I am come, I was sent, that sinners might have eternal life. I'm going to close this morning with one more verse that speaks better than anything I could say. 1 John 5, 20. And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true and we are in Him that is true even in His Son, Jesus Christ. And then listen at this. This is the true God and eternal life. This is it. Christ is God's love manifested. And what an amazing way God did that. God manifested it through the span of a virgin's womb, through 30 plus a few more years of earthly life, through a suffering, vicarious death, all to appease the wrath of God, and through His righteousness and His death, burial, and resurrection, and His ascension, You and I can have eternal life. Have you ever realized you are a sinner? Have you ever realized that you were dead? I didn't ask you if you just realized you needed something to make your life better. I said, have you ever realized that you are a sinner? In other words, you are dead in trespasses and sins, that no good deeds, that nothing you can do can ever merit or deserve God's salvation. It means you have no spiritual life within you. And there's absolutely nothing you can do to change that. Do you believe this morning what I have just preached? Do you believe that God the Father sent His only begotten Son into the world so you could be saved? Do you believe that? Do you believe God has the power to give you eternal life? Do you believe God, that God the Father has the power to take things that are dead and cause them to live? Do you believe that? If so, this morning, repent of your sins, call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Romans 10, 13 said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call on Him and ask Him to save you. Ask Him to forgive you, to give you eternal life. As I mentioned in verse 10, God also sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins, and then in verse 14, God sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Those are just three aspects of Christmas that are found in just this little cluster of verses, and we worship Him this morning. Oh, I thank God that He sent His Son! I could have never, NEVER accessed God on my own, but God sent his son god didn't send his son to help a struggling man along. no god sent his son to give a dead man life and that's those of us all of us for all have sinned and come short of the glory of god for the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life through jesus christ our lord isaiah said come now let us reason together though your sins be as scarlet they shall be as white as snow. Come ye, if you have no money, come by, come to the waters, and drink freely, Jesus said. Salvation is of the Lord. As we close in prayer this morning, I hope the Spirit of God and the Word of God will search your heart and whatever you need today, if it's salvation, cry out unto God for saving grace. There's people sitting all around here today, myself included, standing here. I'd I'd love nothing better than to take God's Word, open it up, and and pray with you, and show you, help you in any way. I mean, everybody here today that's saved would love to be able to show you in Scriptures what it means to be a Christian, what it means to have eternal life, and who can give you that life. We can't give you the assurance of anything. The assurance is found in the Word of God, in your obedience to that Word. But until you call upon Him, that's what He said do. And I'm glad He said if if we do, He's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us all unrighteousness so here's what i'm saying in a nutshell christmas is about christ being sent you say "Well, why didn't you say that a while ago we would have been done an hour ago oh but all the details and i haven't scratched the surface father thank you this morning again for the privilege of being among the living or thank you for temporal life thank you for the ability to see to hear to taste, to smell, to feel, to experience life. Thank You for all of that, but Lord, thank You that in the midst of that, Lord, that You knew that I was dead spiritually, being a descendant of Adam. Lord, I came in this world a sinner by nature and by choice, and Lord, I, if left to my own ways, would have never sought You, but Lord, I would have continued to walk away from You and continued to have walked into a Christless eternity, but thank You, Father, For your regenerating power thank you for the word of god and the spirit of god thank you for truth that was given to my life thank you for opening my blinded eyes thank you for letting me see in my darkness the great light that you sent thank you for having mercy upon me in my blindness and my deadness thank you for caring enough for me to send your son lord i don't question your love this morning you have manifested your love what greater love than, Is there greater love than this, that a man lay down his life? And Lord, Your Son, lay down his life for us, that we might live. I pray this morning for any that are listening that are unsaved. May they this very moment cry out to You for saving grace. Lord, may they look unto You, as You said, all the ends of the earth, and be saved. For those of us who do know You, may we rejoice not only this morning, but throughout this Christmas season. May we rejoice that God sent you so we could have life through you. And Lord, our completeness is in you and in nothing or no one else. And we give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory, and we worship you as our Lord and Savior. Thanks be unto God for your unspeakable gift. Bless our families and prayer requests and individual needs, and throughout this week, may we continue to think back upon these words and praise you and worship you, Thank you for having life through your name. In Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.